Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Falta Stock, welcome, very welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, series four, episode four. As you know, our show comes from County Cork in Ireland, and in the show, we love to share with you all about the places of your Irish ancestors and help bring their stories to life. In today's show, we have something very exciting in store for you, something very special to share with you, real help in searching for your Irish ancestors. Listeners, go now and download the research link in today's show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 404. It could be the step that brings you closer to your Irish ancestors. So if you have some Irish ancestors, but you're not sure of who they are, perhaps you have a surname, but we all know how confusing all those different spelling variations of Irish surnames can be. And perhaps you'd love to bring your family or take a trip yourself back to Ireland, walk on the land that your ancestors may have walked. But the question is, where was that and which county? And you're going to ask, how would you find out? Perhaps you're trying to establish all the facts from the fiction and the stories that you've heard down through the years about your Irish ancestors. Well, that's exactly what happens in our membership site, The Green Room. And for the last five years, we've helped people answer the big the puzzling questions and the not so big questions in their Irish ancestry research search. And today we would like to extend that warm friendship to you listeners to help you tackle your own brick walls and unlock those family histories to find out your Irish ancestors. And we're doing this because it's a part of our celebration in the green room. It's our fifth birthday. And to help me is Mike Collins because he's launching his unique research tool called the Essential Green Room Guide to Irish Family Research. And I sometimes call it for short, the research wheel. And if you'd like to see it, go to the show notes at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 404. It might be handy to have that link there in front of you as I sit and chat with Mike. If you're out and about driving, not to worry. It's a simple diagram and he's really good at explaining. So Mike is here now to tell us how we could break down some more of those brick walls and to share with you his wonderful research tool. Welcome in, Mike. Thank you, Karina. Faltish Doc, and I hear there's some great celebrations in the Green Room this month. Oh, yes, indeed. As you know, we're five years old in the Green Room, which is an incredible feat, um, I suppose, as far as we're concerned, and as certainly a brilliant celebration to celebrate with all of our members. Well, happy birthday. And I know you're launching something really special as part of the celebration. That's right. Yep. And I've been telling our listeners it's something to do with ancestry research. Now, I think ancestry research is particularly Irish. Boring. Oh, Irish, sorry. Very yeah. difficult, you know. Or, or would you say research is easy, Mike? Well, okay. Well, first of all, um, as you said pre- previously, Karina, it's very useful to have something called the Green Room Research Wheel in front of you, which are in the show notes, as we start to go through the rest of this particular uh, podcast. However, just to say... Uh, we should be pretty good in our descriptions. It is quite simple anyway. Okay. Now, back to your question. Is Irish, is ancestry research difficult or easy? Well, you know, I think that's a very personal kind of thing. But 
Generally speaking, let's face it, it's a straightforward thing at one level uh, because in theory, all you need is a few dates, you know, and events to hang off those dates and a few places. And then you have dates and places to actually associate with a particular ancestor. And all you need to do after that is actually start connecting with other ancestors. I mean, how hard could that be? Yes, but the flies in the ointment, isn't it? What about Irish ancestry research? I know people think when it comes to Ireland, it's so difficult to, to do the research. Oh, yeah. As I said, that was in theory. But of course, the difference between theory and practice is that in theory, they're the same, but in practice, they're different. And especially when it comes to Irish ancestry research, because there are some very special things that I think a lot of our readers, a lot of our members have actually, and listeners have actually come become aware of as they start to hit one brick wall after the other. And let's start off with two of those things, actually, because one of them is the Irish language itself, and Changa Gwelga. So if you think about it, Karina, an awful lot of, I guess, kind of even today in Ireland, we actually speak Irish, just using English words. I think we do, particularly our phraseology. There it's really go. a translation from the Irish, uh, and that's why it sounds so different in a way to maybe proper English. Absolutely. As we'd say. Now, if you go way, 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 way back to the formation of surnames in Ireland, the formation of place names, um, you had a society that generally was not writing this stuff down, and the day to day person was quite illiterate. So, you know, everybody local knew what you meant when you said a particular surname or you said a particular place name. But then these people, they, well, let's say administration started to kick in and people started to emigrate. So you had people, if you like, with, I suppose, English ears listening to people speaking the Irish language and making their best guess how to write down what they were listening to. And of course, the person that was saying it, the Irish person might not actually have been able to speak English or indeed write there you go. So double that one up. You know, it's 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 astonishingly kind of difficult and complex in one way, because, you know, in, in theory, Ireland is an English speaking country. And so therefore, it actually perplexes a lot of visitors even today when they start to actually listen to the variety of local accents, place names, etc., etc., uh, with those English ears still on them. But that's kind of not how it works. So the point is that you know, I suppose kind of understanding how the Irish language has affected those things like place names, surnames and lots of other things and how they're actually recorded in the records tends to actually be really important as you actually start to research your Irish ancestry. And there's another thing as well about those Irish records, Mike. How um, were not some of them lost and burnt in, in the different civil wars and so on? Oh, yeah. I mean, like one of the things we get all the time, Karina, is that uh, people say, oh, I heard all the records were lost and they were burned and so on. Therefore, I can never find my people ever again. Now, a couple of things. Uh, first thing is we're living in a golden age with regards access to what is available. A golden age in terms of it's available online and for free and becoming more so as time goes forward. In fact, more so than most other countries. That's one thing. Um, however, there is a huge element of truth, actually, that certain groups of records uh, were lost through fires, uh, through being pulped as part of the effort for the First World War. So there are gaps, if you like, in church records. There are gaps in uh, very few in civil records, and there are gaps in the census years in Ireland as well. So, But it's a question of actually understanding just what those gaps were, and secondly, because most Irish researchers and genealogists understand those gaps are there, they've become very adept at using other methods to actually triangulate just what is available so they can figure out, well, what's the best, gap, what's the best guess, if you like, for that particular gap. And then try and manage the, to prove that as well, that these are the correct 
guesses as such. There you go. And, you know, that can be a little bit of a journey, could be a little bit of complex, uh, a bit of complexity there. But so when you start to put the, let's say, the use of the, preva- the prevalence of the Irish language in the place names and the surnames with that kind of like question marks around certain records and the Big way they're gaps. actually recorded, mm-hmm. not to mention certain church records that are recorded in Latin using an Irish accent, you know, go on from there and so on and so forth. Well, I think I really appreciate the complexity hearing you speak there of looking at one's Irish ancestry research. And I know in the green room over the last five years, you've developed lots of training and quick win videos to help people tackle those things, features, and there are lots of resources there. But why did you decide to bring out this research, this this essential green room guide to Irish family history research? Yeah, I, th- I think the word essential is kind of a key, key word there because, you know, nobody wants to kind of get the full history and kit and caboodle of everything to do with the Irish language, surnames, place names, and so on. They kind of prefer to know, well, what's relevant for me just now with regards to what I'm specifically looking for. So what we're trying to do is distill down just what is essential. And, you know, I think it's kind of the other thing to say, Karina, is that what we've noticed, and it's nobody's particular fault, is that people need to kind of figure out how to ask the right questions so they can get the right answers. An awful lot of people are, you know, tell me what you know about. Or, you know, they're really scratching their heads trying to figure out how do I actually frame a question to get a useful answer. So what we wanted to do with this essential guide is to actually help people ask the right questions. So they can get the answers that they're looking for. There you go. I'm sure it must be very frustrating not knowing how to frame that question in the first place. Absolutely, yeah, because, you know, it's like you get an answer to a question that you never particularly asked in the first place you scratch your head and you go home and you're sitting at it for a year and you come back and you know meekly ask another question we don't want that sort of thing we want people to kind of feel you know i suppose assertive and get good kind of momentum going in their research that's the one thing but i suppose the other thing relates to the f- being five years old um you know you you i suppose you gather an awful lot of resources over that time and what we wanted to do was give people a clear track through those available resources one that you wouldn't get lost on. Let, let me just paint a picture. You know how it is if you go to, let's say, a foreign city for the first time? Mm-hmm. You know, a big, complex city. It might be kind of, I don't know, Boston in the USA, or it might be Melbourne in Australia, you choose, or even London. And it's complex. It's noisy. It's hard to figure out. Uh, perhaps the best thing to do is just go get lost. But one of the things you can do in most of these cities today is find yourself a hop-on, hop-off bus. Have you tried one of those before, Corinne? Oh, yes. They oh, bring yeah. you to the highlights. They take the stress out of the whole situation. And what you do? You hop off. You stay there for as long as you want. And you hop back on again. And whatever takes your fancy, you, you Yeah, maybe you see. skip the next one. Maybe you skip the next site after that again. Then you hop off again. And maybe you just stay on the bus going around a couple of times. You know? So what we try to do essentially is construct this this guide, if you like, a little bit like a hop-on, hop-off bus as you make your way around the various resources already inside the green room. And as well as that, it's like having a kind of a guide in your ears along the way because you can ju- you can actually ask a question, a bit like Alexa or Siri, you can ask a question anywhere you want inside the actual guide back to our in-house genealogists as well. And get some help along the way. And get some help. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's two things. So we put the guide in place so people could ask the right questions. Number two, we put it in place so they get a clear track to navigate the resources. 
And I suppose the third thing is with regards going forward and managing the complexity of having more information and data available, we want a simple framework so we can add more stuff in there. And, you know, we can point people to it and they can go find the new stuff easy enough. So it kind of works out for everybody, if that makes sense. Well, that sounds like a fantastic tool. And I really like that idea of the hop on, hop up bus. So it's uh, you've got this wheel. And now I'm just going to, I'm having a look here, and I hope our listeners are too, that they've downloaded um, the guide and are looking at that green room wheel. And you ca- you've got it there in front of you too, Mike. Yeah, do you so, know what, can I just interrupt there? Yeah, actually, you don't even need to download it. Just go to the show notes. It's actually there, you know, right in front of you. So, um, you know, I think it's episode 404. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, okay. 404. Uh, yeah, and you'll find it there. So, yeah, I have it in front of me here and you have it in front of you there. So, I'd like you, Mike, to be my guide around that wheel, that research wheel now, and uh, tell me a little bit about it. I'd be delighted to. Okay, well, folks, if you just haven't got it in front of you, just picture this. I'm looking at a wheel here with the number of modules along the rim of the wheel. Starting right at the top, at the 12 o'clock point, we have module one. Uh, Working your way all the way in a clockwise direction around the rim of the wheel, we end up with module seven, which is summary and tying it all together. And again, just to point out that this is a circle. So it's not a question of just kind of starting at the beginning, working your way through to the end and then just forgetting about it because you graduate. You'll just come back again and again and again. A bit like your hop on, hop off bus. Absolutely. And then at the center of the wheel, we have a hub where it says person of interest spreadsheet. Because almost every time when somebody asks us a question inside the green room, certainly, or asks a genealogist a question, we advise them to tie it down to a specific person or a specific line so we can gather the real specific data and understand what they know already so we can start to kind of make good guesses around what they don't know. So you build the picture with one person and look at the records related to them. Yeah. Because I do know that some people have many lines that they're inquiring about, but a good technique so in using your research wheel here is to pick your one person of interest and pop them in there into the middle, in the middle of all the spokes, and then work from there out into the into the areas of research. Yeah. yeah so let, let's just take an example. So as I mentioned, we have module one at the top and Really, it's called introduction orientation. I cert- that's the one module you really should start with no matter what. You don't necessarily have to go back over it the next time and the next time. But inside there, you get some kind of common guidelines and common backgrounds as well, such as more about Irish place names and conventions, more about Irish surnames and conventions, more about Irish naming patterns. And there's a fourth thing, which for the, oh yes, land divisions. More about land divisions, your civil your civil parishes and your Roman Catholic parishes, etc., etc. Well, that's like a language in itself there alone, Mike, you know. So that would be, v- they're very key really to unlocking the whole Absolutely. research wheel, are, are they not? Yeah, because those things come up again and again and again in the future modules. So it's no harm to definitely check in with the introduction and get the lie of the land, so to speak. Yeah. So um, the way we kind of suggest then we use this, and I must admit at the moment, the spreadsheet isn't live as we actually record this in February of 2019, because we just have some little kind of uh, some extra kind of uh, finessing to do with the spreadsheet. Uh, but we're almost there. But the way you typically do it is you'd find a person, stick them in the spreadsheet. And technically speaking, once you have some facts about that person, it'll start to point you towards the best set of Irish records to interrogate further to find out more about the events and the connections 
this person might have in Ireland. Now, that's a really good way of being able to focus your questions, isn't it? When you know there the you records that are available at the time, maybe of that person's lifespan and and so on. So that's really, really, that's really good. That's really interesting. Okay, so what I'm going to do, Karina, is just work my way around after the introduction along the rim. I'm just for over a space of a minute, just going to mention each one and we can just kind of give it a little bit more, okay? So module two looks at Irish church records. So these are probably the earlier records available in Ireland. You know, some were going all the way back to the 1700s, uh, depending upon the church. Uh, but for the most part, they started in the early 1800s. Then module three moves on to the Irish civil records. So this is the government sponsored records of births, uh, marriages and deaths, which typically kicked in in the uh, 1860s thereabouts. But of course, if you have a death, let's say in the 1870, that might be for somebody reaching all the way back into the 1700s, which could be very useful. Um, so with the civil records, then module four uh, covers the Irish land records. So uh, I suppose that's centered around the tithe appointments, um, and which we can explain more later if you wish, of the 1820s and 1830s, but primarily around the Griffiths valuation around uh, about the 1850s into the 1860s in Ireland, which are fantastic means of actually asserting just where somebody was at that point in time in Ireland, and also who their likely family and neighbours were at that point in time as well. That's module four. Then we keep going around the rim in a clockwise direction, and we come across module five, which focuses on the Irish census records, and now, of course, the last intact census records are from 1901 and 1911. But again, that's the sort of thing where you actually find people who are, let's say, in their 80s in 1901. You start to find evidence that can reach all the way back into the early part of the 1800s. So it's it's absolutely, um, uh, how to say, it can, can it's really... It's valuable when you start looking there back, you isn't go. it? Yes, and take you further back than you think. And module six after that, we cover DNA testing. <laughs> And um, I, I guess kind of what we try to do is make sense of it from the point of view of Irish ancestry research. And of course, this is such an evolving field all the time um, that it's it's something we kind of cover, I suppose, around the basics. Uh, we try to keep kind of very kind of sensible about it. Um, and, um, you know, I suppose the, the main thing is to connect with potential cousins so you can actually uh, collate your research efforts as much as actually connecting with people who share surnames and so on and so forth. And then finally, Module 7, as you work your way almost all the way around the rim of the wheel, is summary and tying it all together. Because, of course, all the things we just mentioned, you know, they're all very good in, in theory, in examining individually. But how do you tie it all together? Well, from Module 7, what we give you is a number of genealogist reports that we've commissioned, where Jane McGarvey, our in-house genealogist, shows how she, as a professional genealogist, would actually start to put together those various elements in pursuing, perhaps, the key events and the key place, places of a certain ancestor's life. Um, alongside that, we have Irish homelands features, which you and I have loved doing over the last number of years, where we typically research on behalf of a member, uh, a particular kind of one of their ancestors, and then do a who-do-you-think-you-are type feature, as we visit the places in Ireland they came from. So again, we, we illustrate how we use all the elements like census and Griffiths valuations and so on. And finally, we have some real superstars actually coming up in the green room who really kind of very usefully put together their own research approaches and their own journey and in fact you seen fit to share with others. So we're starting to show you other members and how they put together those various uh, records and elements. 
Does that make sense? Fantastic. That sounds like a really comprehensive way of going about the search. And I really like the fact as well that you can see what other people have done. It gives you ideas, doesn't it, for your own and, and a bit of inspiration. Do you know, Queen, I'll just say something about that. What, what I find that the number one mistake people make that I've noticed at least over the last number of years, and I spoke with Jane about this as well, is when people only concentrate on their own families and their own lines because they only have a limited amount of stuff they can learn. But when they start to actually look at other people's situations and approaches and so on, it's amazing what starts to resonate and the ideas you start to get because suddenly you're not as emotionally involved. You can see kind of the mistakes, you can see the useful bits and you can just kind of like a little jackdaw, just pinch the stuff that works for you. And use it in your own family There you go. It's a fantastic way to actually learn. Yeah. Excellent. I'm not an expert genealogist, Mike, now at all, a researcher. And I find the whole Irish record in genealogy search very challenging at times. Well, I love your honesty, really. <laughs> we could do a bit more honesty out there, to tell you the truth. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners are in the oh, same boat as myself. Yeah, yeah. So do you think the research wheel would help me in my search? I don't see why it wouldn't. Now, how about we take maybe a member of your an ancestry of your an ancestry of yours rather and just see kind of where it fits where he fits where she fits well how about i pop somebody into the middle of that wheel so okay. um so my person of interest i'll pick my great grandfather john cronin john cronin okay so my great grandfather john cronin these are the things i know about him he was born in 1839 okay just hold it there now so what we're going to do queen in just a minute is we'll use the actual person of interest spreadsheet to actually establish kind of the beginning and the end of this person's life. So, you know, if it's a guess or if you absolutely know I the have per- two, I have Berlin. two facts, okay. yeah. But just to point out, that's what we're going to do, okay? Okay, so, well, I'll give you the birth again. That okay. was 1839. Lovely. And the, I know uh, the death was, I actually know the date of the death, actually, was January the 5th, 1913. So you have the record for that. I have the record for that one. Okay. But not for the birth, as you can see. Right. And the other fact I have then is that he was married in 1874 to yeah. Margaret O'Reardon. Okay. Oh, 18, and I get that again would be you have the uh, civil registration, civil registration marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, if you have those as well, you have the location, even if you don't know it, because they state the location either one was from at, the, at those particular points in time. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Place of residence, I should say. Yeah. Okay. So now, so what is it you want to know? So. I'd like to know, since I don't, exactly, you know, where he was born, if that was possible. Okay, right. And um, maybe also a little bit more about him, maybe about yep. his children. Yeah. Um, and also, if possible, and I don't know if this is possible, maybe go back a future, uh, a previous generation. Oh, yeah, back to Adam and Eve, I guess, is it? <laughs> we always the, want the, to get the Irish, back. The Irish Mayflower. <laughs> we always want to get back. But, but you know, if we can get something about my great-grandfather, John, and yeah. then we may get back to the great-great. But and the, that's hike, and fi- the High Kings of Ireland. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> that's fingers crossed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's take that. So you know his date of birth. You know his date of death. You know his date of marriage. And alongside that as well, you know where his residence were at those particular points in time. Yes. Uh, but you do want to know... Uh, ideally, the, I suppose the primary thing I'm hearing there is when he was actually, well, where he was actually born and when he was born. Yes. Some of those details. Yes. Which might as well tell us just what his parents' names were. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. okay well, let, let's just see how this works uh, around the Green Room Research Wheel. 
because, <clears throat> excuse me, just to kind of point out, this isn't just about dropping the facts in, pressing the button, spinning the wheel, and lo and behold, there are the answers, just like you won the lottery. Um, but as you actually start to kind of ask better questions, which is what this is all about, and start to refer to, let's say, the Ask the Genealogist section and start to interact with more people and better understand how to interpret each one of the Irish record sets, more and more connections and more and more kind of ways of examining the records start to become apparent, okay? So if we take, um, let's say, the person of interest spreadsheet, I'd normally start there and simply put in the actual date of birth to the date of death, which gives you a span of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have one event at the moment, which is the actual marriage. And I guess you could say you have other events possibly as well, which are the actual uh, births of children too. Um, that then would actually start to show you against that particular span of his life, just what various record sets overlapped different parts of that life. Okay. Excellent. So it starts to give you some clues that way. That's the first thing. But let's just say, so we know those and that's great. So let me give you from my, my knowledge what I think might be interesting to look at as you work your way around the Green Room Research Wheel. So first of all, in module one, um, I think it's kind of very useful to actually know the various land divisions and how they worked over, let's say, especially over the time that John Cronin would have been alive and the previous few decades as well. And understanding differences in civil parishes and Roman Catholic parishes, because I do believe is Roman Catholic, is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah things like that. OK, so that's one thing. Um, another thing is understanding Irish naming patterns which are very prevalent back then among Irish Roman Catholic families, to understand from John Cronin and Margaret Reardon's uh, children what the likely names of either one of their parents are. Depending on where they came in their own family. Correct, yeah. And again, you can see that by actually looking at the Irish naming patterns. So it kind of sets you up to understand and put educated guesses into place and ask better questions. So let's just take that as an example from Module 1. But... Module two, we're into Irish church records, let's say, and the Roman Catholic church records. Um, these can be a little bit patchy in the early 1800s. But in theory, uh, it's very possible that John Cronin has a baptismal record somewhere. Except one of the problems is we don't know the name of his parents. Okay. Okay, but what we do know are the locations where he lived uh, at the earliest possible time, which is probably going back to uh, the marriage uh, possibly back to Griffith's valuation before that. So the Irish church records, you know, for births, uh, marriages and burials, so to speak, um, they could be just a little bit patchy for that information back in the 1830s. But it doesn't mean the information isn't there. One of the main problems I find is that Cronin is such a common name in that part of Cork and to Kerry. And John, as a forename, you'll probably come up with lots and lots of different John Cronins, if that makes sense. But there are links to those records where you can go and do the legwork, really, and search. That's it. Or, or figure out that it's that the, the, the records are not available for that particular period of time in that particular parish, which is very important as well. Okay, so by looking, you'll establish whether they're there or not. Yeah. And the links are there to those records in the green room. Yeah, so that doesn't mean you give up when you find, let's say, that it's not available at that time, but it means you might have to make more indirect approaches in finding information you particularly want. But let's actually move on, Karina, because um, firstly, if you do actually find some Irish church records, and especially going on to John Cronin's um, uh, children being born, which I know are probably civil records as well, you'll start to actually find sponsors named. And sponsors are often family members. You know, it could be brothers, could be sisters, could be parents. So you look up their details as well. There you go, yeah. So, you know, you, you start to get some really interesting kind of um, examples of where 
let's say, different sponsors named uh, for, let's say, the children and marriages, future marriages possibly, but usually the children of John Crone and Margaret Reardon. But you can also find, let's say, different records in which John Crone and Margaret Reardon are actually named as sponsors. Because, of course, that's what happened the other way around as well. So you start to establish that there's probable links here between these particular people, either as neighbours or as family members. So you build a bigger picture around the one person. I, I, yeah, what's happening is we're going wide as opposed to before we go back. I understand. understand? If, if, yeah. if it's not there in the record straight off, then you have to broaden your searches. Yes, yes. And there are clues popping up all the time. Now, the Irish civil records, I'm continuing around the wheel here. Um, okay, so from the Irish civil records, one of the more interesting things you can find from that are later death records, you know, uh, so for example, you get location, causes, age, uh, informants, all that sort of information. But I guess kind of what I'd be interested in seeing is um, other Cronins in the area, the same age as John Cronin, or older, that he is connected with in some way. And what would that tell you then? That would establish that there's kind of a family of Cronins that he is possibly connected to in the region, or maybe it suggests if it's not there, that he actually came into the area. Oh, I see. To marry or meet Margaret O'Reardon, for example. Of course. Does that make sense? Yes, that would make sense. Okay. Yes. So let, let me just continue around here because, you know, I, I, there's a lot in here. And I know it's a specific case, but, you know, um, yeah, there's a, everybody's kind of probably projecting their own singular case on what we're talking about here. In Module 4, as you work your way around the actual research wheel, we have Irish land records. Now, a few things to point out. The, the land records... In one sense, the census, it's a form of a land record from 1901 and 1911. We'll come to that next. But more, more importantly, working the way back to the 1850s, at which point um, John Cronin probably, well, let's put it this way, he was born in, what, 1839? 1839, so. Yeah, it's very possible he's not directly named in Griffith's valuations, for example, in the 1850s and Because he is the head of the house probably Correct. at that young age. Absolutely. So it could be a very useful way of actually examining uh, the townlands and parish you know he's in to check for who, which Cronin is there, if any at all. And who is head of the house. Correct. And you may find there's no Cronins at all in that townland, but you might find there's Cronins in adjacent townlands or indeed adjacent parishes. And again, you have a situation where they may have come in and yeah. married the Reardon. There you go. So what you do is you're, you're building up a theory as such. So between that and what's called the tithe applotments, the Poplin's books of the 1820s, 1830s, again, going back a couple bringing, of decades before that. quite back then, aren't In they, this yeah. case, you're, you're kind of either establishing, look, there were no Cronins in the area, or there were Cronins in the area. Here's, the, here's their pool. And if you find a pool of Cronins, your next step is to try to kind of in, interlink them together, if you like, and, or eliminate some of them. And are they my Cronins? I guess that's what people there ask. There you go. Yes. But be prepared to actually notice uh, that there's no Cronins in the area at either of those points in time. Interesting. Okay. Does that make sense? That does make sense, yes. Okay, so uh, now I know we're kind of zipping around the wheel here, but I'm kind of giving you an overview because, of course, you're going to go around it again. You're going to slow all the way down. You have to slow down and, and check And you're going out. to start doing your own research. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, and this is a speedy view of what's available, really, just on one person in one area. There you go. So if we look at the census records, then uh, module five, which is the next one in the wheel, um, this is 1901 and 1911 for the full census, but you often actually get individuals searching earlier census at the time when they were still available and actually getting a report 
on the fact that, uh, let's say, yeah, these people were actually in the household at, for example, the 1851 census. Okay. So, you know, there's a few subtle nuances in there as well. But in this particular case, um, you know, you have the Cronin household uh, strongly established. And I imagine that John would be almost 60 at this stage. In 1901, so, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, if not older, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you, you have that, you see occupations. And occupations inside the census at that age can give you a very good indication. So, for example, you might see somebody who was with some people recently, let's say they were soldiers or coast guards uh, or ministers, and they're awfully, or school teachers, and they're awfully the traveling class, often the traveling class, if you know what I mean. So the chances are they may have come into the area to establish themselves professionally, or a shoemaker even, or a carpenter, and met somebody doing a job and decided to hang around, you know. So occupation can actually give you a pretty interesting kind of view as to where that person might have come from. Because let's just say, I think I remember John Cronin as a carpenter. Well, he got his carpentry probably from inside his own existing family. Because that typically, if I look at his um, kids, I think three, at least three of the sons were carpenters as well. Yeah, well, my, my grandfather was a carpenter, so yeah. he sold his father, who we're speaking about, my great-grandfather was possibly a carpenter. Because, yeah, guess what was expensive at the time? Doing an apprenticeship. Okay. But guess what you got for free? An apprenticeship, hopefully, from inside your own family, from your own father, you know, or your own mother. Perhaps and so if it passed down in the souls. family, it was free. You could say that, yes. yeah. But the fact is, you know, um, John Cronin's uh, abilities to be a carpenter didn't just come from nowhere. So the chances are he had a father or an uncle who was also a carpenter. So if that's named in that census, occupation wise, you know it. That could be a very useful clue on reaching back and establishing kind of from the records. If you come across another Cronin who was a carpenter from an adjacent townland or parish, that there might be a connection there. Okay. Okay. So then we are on to, from module five, back to onto module six, DNA testing. Now, I know you've had your DNA tested. Isn't that correct? I've had my DNA tested, yeah. yeah. Now, that will be the autosomal DNA test, which which is the very kind of generic kind of testing that people mostly do from ancestry, my heritage and so on, um, which we explain and we kind of talk about. But essentially, it kind of throws you into a very large database. And what I find is a very useful way of connecting you with other researchers who actually have a similar line to you. In other words, the distance cousins. By comparison, if you actually want to actually, um, I suppose, kind of dip into kind of surname studies and actually figure out the movement of your Cronins and who you're connected to, who have those similar links, it's probable that you actually have to get the elder male inside your family, the oldest male inside your family, to do a Y-DNA test in order so they could actually establish kind of a different sort of marker than what you could as a female. Well, luckily we have one of those. Oh, so. hang on to him, Karina, yeah. <laughs> now, you know, this is all quite complex in one way, but ultimately what you're looking for is, especially in the presence of brick walls that you just can't seem to break down, um, getting those patterns of habitation because of who you're connected to through your DNA test, or indeed actually picking up on the research of some of those other individuals who've already done the research and are prepared to share with you. That's the sort of stuff that really breaks down walls over time. Excellent. 
I, I know in all the modules, Mike, you've gone into real detail and we're only skirting around the top of it here at the moment. Oh, but isn't it fun? It is fun. It is fun. And if any module attracts somebody, and I can see a few of them now that I'd be drawn to, to find out a little bit more information, uh, especially, say, head of the household and, and looking at the land records and so on, that that's an area then that you can delve deep into in the module. And there are lots of links and so on available. Yeah. And you know what? You see an awful lot of social history trends coming out through the records as well, through the maps. Um, you know, it's absolutely fascinating. We, we did a search there recently and it was for a lady whose ancestor was a Coast Guard in Ireland. And he was establishing himself and his family in Ireland back in the early 1800s. But when I shared with her a view of all the Coast Guards from the 1901 census, it immediately became apparent that I would say roughly 75% of them plus were born outside Ireland or in Ulster and were typically pro- had a Protestant background. And that's because, really, it was a military kind of, uh, you know, at least quasi-military appointment. And that's the sort of thing where you kind of brought people in from the trust realms of the uh, the army or, you know, the Coast Guard from other to places. To the coast. Yeah, rather than kind of, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, rather than kind of being slipped a mickey from one of your friends as you tried to smuggle something into the coast, you know, that sort of way. So, you know, these kind of social kind of, um, I suppose, kind of trends start to become apparent through the census, even today. Um, which brings us back to module seven, which is tying it all together. Now, I'm delighted with this module because... Really what it does, Karina, is it shows you how, again, in theory, you can actually use any one of those particular kind of elements. But how do you kind of like, how do you become a conductor of them all? How do you kind of start to kind of collate collate the lot? How do you start to see the relationship between one set of records and the other? So inside this module, we give reference to a set of genealogist reports where we commissioned Jane Garvey to actually give the professional genealogist point of view when researching a particular member ancestors. And she's really good at showing, let's say, uh, the land books, land revisions, uh, through to Griffiths, through to census, establishing theories, setting out to disprove them, and so on. So that, that's kind of quite highbrow for a lot of our people. It was a great insight into how, let's say, a genealogist would work based in Ireland. But alongside that, we also have references to our many homelands features, which, as I mentioned earlier, you and I enjoyed a lot. And inside each one of those visiting a particular county, it also shows how we pull together an awful lot of things like maps, surname maps, distributions, Griffiths valuations. And you walk the land, Mike. You walk the land. You're in the place. And we ask people, we talk to people, we knock on doors. So, you know, and finally then, we, as I mentioned, we actually have different members and they show just how they did the same thing as well. And then you're back to module one, all the way back to the beginning as well. Except like the hop hop on, hop off bus, hopefully you'll come back tomorrow and give it another go. And this time, go to those places you haven't been the last time. Mike, that's been a whirlwind tour, but really, really interesting. And I think this is going to be a fantastic tool, this research wheel, for our listeners who want to delve in and maybe have a taste of it. And particularly for our green room, it's going to make the fifth year celebration go with a bang. Yeah, and just to say there, Karen, I think a key part of it is, as you go around the wheel and as you do your research, you have the support of many, many other members, but you also have places to ask questions in a relevant way and you'll be encouraged to frame those questions in a way where you should get the best answers well thank you so much for taking us around that puzzling irish ancestry uh, <laughs> not for long eh? yeah no 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 you've really clarified it and i think the wheel will be really helpful to a lot of people i'm looking forward to meeting this john cronin at least on paper i'm anyway. going to know a lot more about him after today <laughs> there you go thank you mike you're welcome Grant.
And so our show comes to an end. And a warm thanks to you listeners for your company on the Letter from Ireland show, to all our friends in the green room and our readers on the Letter from Ireland. And as one of our readers on the Letter said recently to me, my family history just keeps on going and is full of surprises and has been a wonderful journey. If you're wondering about your own Irish ancestors and perhaps you want to start your own journey, why don't you check out Mike's research wheel by going to our show notes and the link at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash four zero four. We'd love to hear your comments there too. So do let us know how the research wheel or the essential green room guide to Irish family history research helps you. Why not give it a try? Sure, you never know who you'll find. And as our green room members often say, your ancestors are calling you and waiting to be discovered. Slán, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to you joining us again next time on the Letter from Ireland show. If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, the green room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show and you can find full details of the green room at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The green room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán gafól, Karina. Karina.